Welcome to the Craft to Career Podcast with Elizabeth Chapel, where every week we dive into how you can turn your craft into a successful career. Get ready to have the career you've always dreamed of. Hello, and welcome to the Craft to Career Podcast. I am Elizabeth Chapel, your host. And I'm really excited for our guest today. We have Annette Stepanian, who is a lawyer who works specifically with small business owners and creative business owners. So when you start a new business, there's lots of legal issues and questions to navigate. And so I wanted Annette to come and address some of those questions and share when you should probably think about reaching out to a lawyer. I also want to read a review. I really appreciate the reviews that you guys leave. And each week I plan to read a review of someone and I'll share your name. So when you write your review, feel free to put in the review what your Instagram handle is so that people can find you and come and follow you as well. This review comes from Elena McPeak and she says, I love listening to this podcast. Elizabeth does a very good job exploring different types of crafts related to sewing arts. The guests and hosts are extremely genuine, open and provide very useful advice. Topics discussed are not presented by anyone else in the industry, and by listening to the episodes, I feel empowered to take action and have fun. For any creative mind afraid to make their creativity known. I love this review, Elena. Thank you so much, and I love that it feels genuine and open and that you're finding information that's not available anywhere else in the industry. Thank you so much, Elena. Be sure to leave a review at the end of the show, and each week I'll choose someone else to highlight and to read their review. So now let's get started with this week's episode. Annette, welcome to the show. And if we can go back to the very beginning and just tell us what got you interested in law? How come you decided to go to law school? You know, when I was in school, I always knew I wanted to go get my graduate degree and I studied business in undergrad and law just kind of seemed like a nice next kind of transition. And I thought that the combination of business and law would lay the groundwork uh, for a lot of what I would come across in life. And so that's why I decided to go to law school. I wish there was like some, you know, really cool story about, you know, I wanted to fight for justice, you know, (laughs) Um, but it just, I I was just really intrigued by the intellectual challenges that law school provides and um, being able to kind of exercise my brain in that way. And then hopefully it would, like I said, create a a foundation for me that I could then jump off from and do other things. Because when you think about it, law really intersects with a lot of what we do. I mean, pretty much everything we do, there's a legal component to it. And when, like, when did you decide to pivot to what you're doing now? Because right now you're working with entrepreneurs and you've got some really cool things set up. How did you decide to, to do that? So what happened was I was working at your traditional big law firm for about six years. And just progressively, I just didn't see a long-term um, career there, mostly because in a law firm setting, the ultimate goal is to become a partner. And I didn't want to be a partner for just you know personal and professional reasons. And so uh, I took a leap of faith. I quit my job. I had no idea what I was going to do next. Um, I took some time off, some very much needed time off and traveled and just kind of um, 
rekindled my creative side. Um, you know, it's funny. I was doing all these like arts and crafts classes and, you know, I bought a paper cutter from like Martha Stewart and I was doing all this, you know, uh, scrapbooking stuff. And it was just so fun to kind of reinvigorate myself in that creative element. And so, uh, that eventually, um, turned into me starting my own jewelry business. And so I ran that for about two years. And in the process of it, I really started interacting with a lot of folks in the creative industry. So photographers, graphic designers, you know, stylists, and, um, just started immersing myself in that world. And, um, just would read their contracts, you know, I would hire people and, you know, I was kind of like, mm, these contracts aren't so great for them. You know, um, mm-hmm. they, they really, I just started seeing that there was this need, uh, and people started asking me for legal advice and, um, I kind of pushed it away for a while. And then finally, I just thought this would be a really great way to combine these two skill sets slash, you know, interests. So I had this legal background um, and I had this interest in this creative entrepreneurial world. Well, I could combine the two and do what I do today. I love it. Yeah, that's worked out really well for a lot of creatives. So I kind of touched on this, but what are some of the biggest legal mistakes that you see creative entrepreneurs making? So I mean, it's not so much mistakes as much as opportunities to learn. Um, Mm -hmm. I I think part of it is sometimes people get started in business because they have a passion, they have a talent, they have a skill set, which is wonderful. Uh, But sooner or later, you're going to have to start putting these structures in place, these foundations in place, whether it's your legal, your tax, you know, your finance, you want to start thinking about that stuff sooner or later and architecting your business to make sure that you have these safeguards. And so, you know, I guess if you call it one of a mistake, if you see, you know, mm-hmm. if you want to use that word, it's just ignoring it until, you know, it's not that it's too late, but usually people start coming to me when their business has really picked up and they feel like, oh my gosh, I have a lot to lose now. And that's fine. I'd rather have you do it sooner, you know, at some point rather than not at all. But if you can start thinking about it earlier on, so you're not in this like catch up mode <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, would be great. Um, in terms of other things, you know, I, I'm always, I always think there's room for improvement with contracts. You know, if people are, uh, especially service-based businesses, if they're, they're engaging in some sort of uh, relationship with a client where they're going to be offering services, I always think it's wise to have contracts in place. Um, and most people have contracts, um, but what they do is this whole copy and paste of from different contracts, put it together, they kind of DIY it. Um, and that could be problematic because you're not trained to to think about the potential issues that could come up and making sure that that's addressed in a contract. So those are two kind of big chunks of mistakes, I guess we we can call it. Yeah. So I've actually, I use some of your templates. I have the terms of service template and a speaker agreement template. How did you, I mean, that's such a smart idea and really beneficial to entrepreneurs like myself. How did you think to come up with those templates? Um, Well, when I, you know, lawyers are expensive. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. 
Um, you know, an hourly rate for a lawyer, I mean, on the low end is going to be $300 an hour and it can go up higher and higher depending on, you know, where you're at and um, what kind of work you're asking them to do. And for a lot of entrepreneurs, that's just cost prohibitive um, for them to engage with a lawyer. Um, and it feels and can be very expensive for them. And so they don't do it. And so my goal was to make the law accessible. It was to make it industry specific. Uh, that was another complaint that I saw people um, um, talking about was that they would, even if they did go to a lawyer, sometimes a lawyer didn't understand their business. They didn't understand what they did. And so they just felt like there was this disconnect. Um, and mm-hmm. so it was really driven by an effort to make these resources accessible so that at least people had something to work with. And then if they wanted to, then and they had the funds, they could then maybe go to a lawyer um, to you know make edits or to tweak them or whatever they want to do. But it was giving them a starting point. And so they weren't you know, walking around without contracts. <laughs> yep. I love that. I, I'm personally really grateful that you have that. Thank you. So yeah, a question that I have had my students asking is, do I need a lawyer to start my business, to set it up? And if so, what steps are involved? So not necessarily. Um, There's a lot that you could do yourself. Um, It doesn't require a lawyer in the sense that like, it's not that only lawyers can file these documents. Um, So let's say you want to register as an LLC. Well, at least in California, where I'm authorized to practice law, there are there's no rule that says only a lawyer can file this paperwork, right? So if you have the time, if you have kind of the savvy or the interest to research it on your own and figure out what you need to do, then by all means, go ahead and do it yourself. You know, that's a nice way for you to save on costs. If you are just, this isn't something I want to spend the time on, I'd rather just you know, consult with an expert, um, someone who knows what they're doing, who can do it more efficiently, and you have the funds to pay for that, then by all means, work with a lawyer. Um, but in terms of the first steps of setting up a business, it's just uh, initially you've got to decide what kind of entity you want to be. Are you going to be a sole proprietor? Are you going to be an LLC? Are you going to be a corporation? Um, every state has different flavors, I call them, of you mm-hmm. know entity types. And you can research on your state secretary of state's website to figure out what those are. But you want to make a, 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 a decision about what kind of entity are you going to be in this moment of time, given your business, given your financial situation. Okay. Um, and then from there, once you've decided you want to pick a name, this is where you might want to talk to a lawyer potentially about trademarks and identifying names that are available that are not necessarily going to infringe on another registered trademark, but also the strength of the mark of the business name of the brand. Um, because let's say you're not necessarily ready to register your trademark today. If you pick a name that is not considered like a strong name that is that would be eligible for trademark registration, it might present problems down the road. So I think there you might want to get someone who understands this stuff just so um, they can guide you and help you come up with a name or at least give you the benchmarks to think about how you could come up with a name uh, that could be registered down the road as a, a trademark. 
Okay. So I'm thinking in my brain, what, I mean, this is putting you on the spot, but what would be an example of something that's not a strong name that wouldn't be trademarkable? That's (laughs) trademarkable. I know (laughs) that's what I wanted to say. And I'm like, I don't know if that's a word, but we'll just pretend in our world it is. Yes. Yes, we will. So if you think about trademarks, um, and we think about it as a, a spectrum, right? So on the one end, we have like generic terms, And then on the other hand, we have, on the other end, sorry, we have arbitrary terms. Okay. Mm -hmm. So on the generic side is, for example, um, things that are um, common terms that are, we sometimes call descriptive. So let's say I have an applesauce company and I call it Annette's applesauce, right? Mm -hmm. That's probably going to fall on that generic descriptive side of the spectrum because I am describing the product that I'm selling. Okay. Um, the words, uh, I use in connection with the, the goods and services I'm offering, there's no real creativity there. Right. Okay. And so those tend to be weaker marks, uh, because a, you can't have a monopoly on like, there are only so many words in the, in, in the English language and you can't like, um, have a monopoly over these kind of common words. Um, but B, it's also like, you know, and that's applesauce. Like that really doesn't stand out in the consumer's mind. If we think about the purpose of a trademark, it's really to help the consuming public identify the source of those goods and services. So when I look at a pair of sneakers and I see that Nike logo on it, I know that's, oh, that that's Nike. Whereas if I go to Adidas and I see the Adidas logo, I know that's coming from Adidas, right? Hmm, okay. So that's on the weaker side. On the other side where we think kind of arbitrary terms. Now you might be thinking, okay, now you said Apple is a generic term, but then how come Apple has, you know, Apple computers? Well, you could take what is otherwise a generic word. And if you combine it with um, a good or service that is kind of, you know, like computers, right? Apple has nothing to do with computers. Okay. If if you think about it back in the eighties, when they started, it was like, why are you calling a computer Apple? Right. Um, I'm still curious why they did, but, (laughs) but it worked. (laughs) There is a story behind it. Um, Mm -hmm. But that makes it really arbitrary and distinctive, right? Because you think, okay, Apple computers, there's no connection. Um, And so that makes it a strong mark. Or we think Banana Republic, right? Banana and Republic, those are kind of generic words, but you you, uh, attach it to clothing, apparel, right? That makes it distinctive. Now in our minds, because these are such... Um, brands that have been in business for so long, they don't, we don't see that as, as easily. But if you think about when they first started, you know, it's kind of unique. And so that tends to make it a stronger mark. And so when you're thinking about, you know, it may not necessarily be your business name, it may be your program name, your product name, whatever you want to, in the initial stages, a look to see, is it being used by somebody else? Because you don't want to, like I said, infringe on somebody else's use of that mark. But B, you want to start thinking creatively to pick up and uh, pick names, excuse me, uh, that are on the stronger side. So that even if, let's say, that 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 mark is not registered and is not in use by somebody else, if we then file an application with the trademark office, we don't want it to get rejected because it's in their minds too, it's like on the weak side, it's on the descriptive side, right? We want to make mm-hmm. sure that we get a really strong one. So 
that's where you put your creative hats on. You do, you know, your marketing hats on and you try and brainstorm some different names. So that was a really long tangent. (laughs) Um, I appreciate that. I'm sure I'm not the only one that was really insightful. So thank you. You're welcome. And then my last question is, and I know this is going to vary a lot depending on state and lawyer, but if someone were to reach out to a lawyer to hire them to set up, you know, an LLC, whatever, whatever their, what do you call it? Uh, The business entity. Yes. Whatever their entity might be. What are some price ranges that you'd be like, you want to stay within this? If it's too much below or above, it might be kind of a red flag. Oh, that's tough because lawyers are, you know, they run the gamut. I've, I've heard of, you know, something that I might charge $500 for someone charges $2,500 for, and I, I don't know. I mean, everybody has their own, um, price point. Um, it really, I think comes down to, are you working with somebody who you feel you, um, is on your team and can guide you and you're building a relationship with them who can, be your partner as you go through the different stages of your business. Um, and so in terms of rates, it's going to be hard. I, like I said, I think if you're looking at an hour, well, let me take a step back. Attorneys usually charge either at an hourly rate or they charge on a flat fee basis. Um, and so hourly rates are going to range anywhere from like 300, 350 to, I mean, it goes up. Uh, but I would say like that three to 350 like is probably a good rate. It's, it's a good deal. You mm-hmm. see some people, you know, 500, 550, 600, right. It goes up and up and up. Um, and that's on an hourly basis. If it's a flat fee basis, that's a little tougher for me to, to speak on. Um, but a flat fee basically means that, you know, the, the lawyer is going to do X service, provide you with X deliverable, and you're going to pay you know, Y dollars, um, regardless of how long it takes that lawyer to do that. So that's usually how the, um, the arrangements, um, for services like this are, um, set up. Okay. Yeah. And as far as I know that you can work with people in California to set up their entity, but what other services do you offer and where can people find you? Yes, I am only authorized to practice law in California. So if the work entails California law, I can help. So contracts, um, entity, you know, registering entities, things of that nature. Um, I can help with trademarks regardless of where you're located uh, because that involves federal law. Um, But if you want to learn more about my services, you can head on over to Annette stepanian.com and hopefully we can put a link in the show notes or someplace Mm -hmm. because it's a little difficult to spell out but over there you can um, get a sense of the different services I offer I also have a lot of free resources on there for you just to educate yourself on um, some of these concepts awesome well I've loved working with you and that's why I wanted to have you specifically on the show so thank you Annette for being a guest and sharing some insight for us thank you for having me Thank you so much, Annette. I love every time I chat with you, I learn something new and I definitely did today. If you want to see the show notes for today's show, which include how to get in touch with Annette or get access to some of her most popular freebies, these are free tutorials and tips that she shares with creative entrepreneurs. Be sure to visit www.quilterscandy.com. Click on the podcast tab and look for episode five. 
Next week, we have our guest, Nicole Saunders. Nicole is my personal life coach and therapist. And even if you're new as an entrepreneur, you're just thinking of getting started, I am going to tell you right now, it's a really good idea to have a life coach or a therapist. Things can get tricky emotionally, and it's really great to have someone who you can talk to. So next week, I'm going to be asking Nicole some of the top questions I've had from students in my courses and some things that I've wondered about myself. So if you're curious what it's like to meet with a therapist or a life coach, you do not want to miss next week when we meet with Nicole Saunders. If you love today's episode, leave a review and let me know what you loved and what you'd like to hear more of. Subscribe to the Craft to Career podcast so you don't miss an episode. I'll see you next week. 